Well, 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 it's the 18th of January, 2021, um, pretty much just a couple days before uh, everyone starts to panic and freak out, uh, which is not something fun to watch. Uh, I have been extremely busy this weekend uh, putting together some really, really um, incredible things. and. Um, uh, that should be released tonight if we can, um, my counterpart and I can can finish it all. That way you guys can see uh, exactly what it is. Now, uh, this has to do with um, Biden, but I want to say something on this. If you remember months and months and months ago where everyone was talking about Biden, I had said that I feel really sad and that I had sympathy uh, for that monster. And many of you might say, well, he's a monster. How can you have sympathy? Uh, because he's a tortured soul. And how bad I felt. I can tell you that going um, his laptop, you know, a year ago, two years ago, just skimming through it, not really diving into it to make sense of it, uh, I was disgusted. Obviously, crimes against children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But this weekend, I have actually intimately engaged with the content on his laptop uh, to make sense of it. I found myself crying <laughs> while I was going through it because I felt so sad, so incredibly sad, because inside this uh, evil human being with regard for life, uh, for children, for morals, there was this soul in there, like buried inside that would come out when he was high, always full of complaints, complaints that I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure, that, I mean, this is how people sympathize with evil people too. Um, but it was devastating reading his texts, listening to his voicemails. I, I, at one point I wanted to hate him. And on the other point, I was just thinking, oh Jesus, I, I really wish, you know, there was a way, um, to get him to feel better. And, um, I think all of you will, will feel the same. And, and, and we talked about this before, how sad I felt, and even for Biden, who doesn't really exist, but even for Biden, who, you know, that's his son. I mean, I, I, I have intimate conversations where he's talking about his mom and his sister being killed. This is not, you know, um, and even though I struggled with those feelings and it was making me very irate um, as a person, I have to say, um, it made me realize that empathy, 
uh, is something that a lot of people lack. And I'm not saying that we should empathize with these monsters uh, for the crimes they commit, but the empathy that every single human on this earth is a soul. I, I, I can't express it in any other way. They can be punished for what they've done. They should be held accountable for what they've done. But we should always see them not with pity, but with empathy and say, I understand. I, it would be, uh, many of you say, I can't fathom doing something. That doesn't mean you'll never be at a point where, we, where you could do it. And empathy is lacking. And the only time people have empathy is when they understand real leadership. And that's something our president has. He has an immense amount of empathy, even though, even though he will call them out, even though he will put their heels to the fire. He will call every single one of them to the carpet. He will also have empathy. And that's important. How much empathy did you have for Epstein, this pervert that was taking these little children and, you know, bouncing around? Not much. And the empathy that one should have is, and, and I struggle with this on a personal level, I'm just saying, is, you know, why are people just not empathetic anymore? This is where they lack their humanity. I think being human is to be empathetic. Uh, and uh, this only comes through when, when you have leadership quality skills. And that's something our president has demonstrated beyond demonstrated. And you know what makes a good leader? And, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I'm going to toot my own horn here, but, you know, years ago when I, when I led a pretty important team, um, a general actually said to me, damn, you have really good leadership skills. And that was because I empowered everyone else to be a leader. And for the past four years, that's what we saw the president do. We saw him empower you to be a leader of your own domain, to take charge of your nation, to stand tall and demand that those that are in elected position do their job. So I thought I would um, start today uh, with a, a video that I will be placing up online soon that I've put subtitles for. I want you to listen to the raw audio for me. I want you to listen to the words that this man says. Why? Well, this is him at a prayer breakfast. Listen to him, how he complains so eloquently. But make sure that people understand what's coming. This is a year ago from the first one where I had the privilege of being asked. I've been with you for a long time before that. And uh, we've made tremendous progress, tremendous progress. You know what we've done. I don't think anybody's done more than all of us together during this last three years. And it's been my honor. But this morning we come together as one nation blessed to live in freedom and grateful to worship in peace. As everybody knows, my family, our great country, and your president have been put through a terrible ordeal 
by some very dishonest and corrupt people. They have done everything possible to destroy us and by so doing very badly hurt our nation. They know what they are doing is wrong, but they put themselves far ahead of our great country. Weeks ago and again yesterday, courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude and strength to do what everyone knows was right. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. Nor do I like people who say, I pray for you when they know that that's not so. So many people have been hurt. We can't let that go on. And I'll be discussing that a little bit later at the White House. I've been here from the first one where I had the privilege. So I thought you should hear that. You know, these are uh, leadership qualities like no other. And I think uh, what we need to start focusing on is what he has given us and what is to come. I, I know that we live in an era where people... Um, believe that they're just handed things. We're in an instantaneous uh, era where we want things yesterday. If we think of a pizza, we want that shit at our door like instantly. We don't want to have to wait. And if somebody waits, that's too bad. We have cell phones. So if we don't know something, right, we just want to pop it up and it's right there. We want directions almost instantly, right? And in an instantaneous society, you expect someone to solve your problems quickly because we have been trained like that. I've, I've said this before, that our higher processes of thought are created to enslave us. We overthink things, whereas our gut, our soul tells us different. And this is why for half a year I've been banging that drum. Trust yourself. Nobody else. Trust yourself. Nobody else. Don't say, oh, I trust him. He showed me this. Or he tweets these nice things. Or he posts these on Facebook and Parler and Gab. Focus on you. What are your moral floors? What, what do you want? How do you want it? Why? Because the era that this nation is entering into demands that from you. It demands you to do your job as a citizen. Now, most of you will say, well, I work and I pay my tax. You don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to slave away so someone could just take from you. You can participate. That's what's so exciting. We're lazy. We've just allowed other people to do things. We're just simply lazy. And this is what the president has taught us, how to be leaders. Now, how did we get to this position, aside from the fact that, you know, we have been lazy and allowed people to just take over? How has this happened? With distractions. With complete distractions. Leaders come in all shapes and sizes. Well, right now, we're in the United States of America, right? 
Uh, speech is being censored left and right. People are losing their jobs. I just got noticed that my position is being vacated. I'm like, okay, all of this is happening now. There's people that are in DC that worked with Trump, like Trump, and they're getting fired left and right. This is complete oppression. This is exactly, exactly how regimes and takeovers come to fruition. And every single one of you participated in that. So when all of you are participating in the same activities hmm, that help make it happen, that means that all of you have the power to take that back. Now, I wanted to start with a little bit of, um, of a background of guerrilla warfare. I found this great clip of someone. I believe that it's important that everyone understand what guerrilla warfare really is. We hear about it. We, uh, you know, people talk about it. We've been told what it is, but I want you guys to listen to it. Just listen to it and understand what it's telling you. Hundreds upon hundreds of them, the colonist militia had been warned. However, the odds were not in their favor. Greatly outnumbered, eight died and nine more were injured as the first scuffle broke out. Hours later, the British marched on. They trudged slowly through the countryside on the route back to Boston, blissfully unaware of the danger that lurked all around, just waiting to be What happened next had them abandoning their weapons and supplies while fleeing for their lives. Find out how the militiamen gained the upper hand in this episode of The Infographic Show. What is guerrilla warfare? After the British had killed the first men at Lexington, they went to nearby Concord in search of weapons. By the time they arrived, most of the stockpile had been moved. Finding only the remaining few, they burned them. However, the blaze became larger than they had planned, leading to the militiamen in the surrounding areas thinking that the entire town was in danger. Now, militiamen were known by another name as well and a well-earned one, men. In other words, they were so skilled and efficient that they could be prepared for anything within the span of a minute. They quickly made their way to Concord and toward the fire. As the British began their 18-mile-long journey back to Boston, thousands of additional Minutemen were either at the scene or close by. Some only followed the Redcoats as they marched, but things quickly escalated from there. Militiamen crawling on their stomachs and concealed behind sheds, walls, and trees began to open fire from every direction causing panic among the British ranks. The soldiers fled to Monotomy and then to Cambridge while under the continual bullets. Approximately 250 Redcoats died that day from Minutemen fire. Many more would have perished if the shooters were more skilled with their weapons. However, the American militia was relatively untrained and inexperienced. The British were not. In fact, the British had dominated on the battlefield for a century, rising above the powers of both Spain and France. They had great weapons, thorough training, good food, and a large budget, should they require anything else. Their American counterparts could barely afford shoes. Still, the fact remained, 250 British had been killed on April 19, 1775, while only 90 militiamen had died. The colonists were able to stand up to the army of a top world power and not only hold their ground, but have a superior outcome. How is this possible? Let me pause that for a second. So what you see is the word Minutemen. I wanted you to read it, um, to, to, to read it, to understand it. I was reading on it. That's what I wanted to say. Uh, I, I, I was reading um, a paper 
by a scholar that was uh, published in uh, 1931, uh, where uh, he was sad that the people of the United States were not ready in a minute to stand up to what was happening. And this is it. All of us are ready in a minute. And here it tells you how all these people that were well-trained, had the best weapons, failed. And I'll refer you to World War II. World War II, uh, the history they tell you is false. It's not the way things happen. But I, I, we all do agree that, uh, you know, in World War II, uh, it was uh, the Allies uh, recruiting the Greeks to assist them that helped. How did this happen? So it was on October 28th when uh, it's no day for the Greeks that uh, the uh, president of Greece received a call and uh, was asked by Mussolini if their troops and the Nazis can pass through Greece. They said, we don't want to take over. We just want to pass through. We want to get to the African coast. They wanted to get to Syria. Again, Idlib. They wanted to get to Libya. They wanted to get to Lebanon. So uh, this is this is real history, right? And so the Greeks at that point had already spoken with Churchill. This is why he says, um, Greeks, uh, heroes fight like Greeks. I'll tell you why. At that time, Greece was not in the same position technologically as a nation, as the rest of the world. They were still using donkeys. Uh, they had muskets, right? They had sticks and stones. Yet, whatever their president told them, and his last, he actually had his last radio broadcast, empowered them so much that they feared that they would lose their land. He said, this is the last time you're going to hear me on the airwaves because the enemies may take over. So fight and protect your land. It is on you now, you know, whatever, go on with it. Not only did they hold out Mussolini, but they pushed back as far as into Albania. And that was the reason Hitler froze his ass off in Russia and lost. And they held ground while big nations with big armies, you know, I, I'm going to say this again. One day we'll revisit the real history of World War II and talk about what really happened. But think about it. The Greeks held Hitler and Mussolini's army off for two and a half years, almost three years. People that had no machine guns, right? Uh, no hand grenades. They were still working with sticks and stones. Yet nations like France and, you know, Belgium, they all fell within days or hours. So what did that teach people? Heroes fight like Greeks. It means that when your nation is in your hands, you will defend it better than any massive army, better than any attempt to take your land than anyone out there even if all you have is sticks and stones. Now, by any means, this doesn't mean we're going to be arming ourselves and we're going to be going to war. 
This is 2021. There needs, there's need not to be any bloodshed as we are at that point. Because while they believe that they have demoralized you to the point where you will not even have the energy to lift your head, that is where the nth hour comes in. How we are that those soldiers of Iwo Jima pushing up that flag with the last breath that many have. While many of you are seeking hopium and, uh, you know, uh, clues, I already know how this story ends and I've said it before. It is in your hands. And this is why the Minutemen won. Now watch slash listen to the rest of this. Well, because they had used guerrilla warfare techniques, the British had expected American colonists to fight a traditional fight where two groups engage in an organized face-to-face -face battle as gentlemen. This would have led to the certain obliteration of the Americans with their inferior numbers and firepower. The British did not, under any circumstances, anticipate that the militiamen would instead be sliding over the ground and hiding behind various types of objects to get a clear shot at the regiment while remaining safely obscured from view. This to the British was highly irregular. Guerrilla fighting, as described, is anything but traditional. Those involved typically function as a smaller group of highly mobile individuals who are up against a larger, more organized group, such as the military or officers of the law. The goal of most guerrilla groups is to protest wrongs, including both real and imagined, carried out by a ruling power or an invader. Guerrilla fighters may work alone or they may work for the benefit of a larger group. They are generally hated by the military leadership due to their damaging and unpredictable techniques and have historically been given unflattering names such as terrorists, barbarians, and savages. The British, who had been taxing the colonists in addition to a host of further grievances that further brought this conflict, provided the members of the militia with their own less-than-flattering moniker, Yankee Scoundrels, and Francis Marion, a guerrilla leader at large later on during the war, earned his own distinction as the Swamp Fox. He and his band of men were famous for their ability to surprise and outmaneuver the British in the wet, swampy terrain of the South. Guerrilla fighting, though just one contributing factor among many, would certainly help the colonists as they fought for their independence and freedom. Unfortunately, in the future, Americans would be using these less than traditional techniques with one another, as growing tensions between citizens in the northern and southern regions of the country resulted in full-on civil war. While most history books focus on the large armies that fought a traditional fight, the South had an additional conflict of its own, filled with vicious raids, ambushes, and other shifty, underhanded, and at the time treacherously murderous techniques. There was no shortage of men to carry out these maneuvers. From the onset of war and on, many Southern men preferred to join a guerrilla group rather than sign up with the Confederate Army. They had more freedom in this way and could stay close to their families to offer them protection. These guerrilla fighters were broken up into two distinct groups, bushwhackers or civilians who hid in the bush and foliage and were difficult to distinguish from peaceful southern civilians, and partisan rangers who wore the Confederate uniform and, though independent, still reported to Confederate superiors. The Union Code of Conduct eventually allowed for the shooting of bushwhackers, as they were not affiliated with the army, while the partisans, who were legally recognized by the Confederate Congress as an alternate fighting force, were thus protected as prisoners of war. In contrast to the South, Northerners were less prone to becoming guerrillas. The few from the Midwest were called the Jayhawkers, and those from the East were the Buffaloes. All fought the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers were quite a force to reckon with. Many considered their strategies to be flat-out unethical, 
as men like William Quantrill kill hundreds of men and boys in one go, as well as dozens of unarmed Union soldiers at a time. However, Jayhawkers were known to terrorize Southern families as well. The Partisan Rangers were the most damaging of all by cutting off Union supplies and communication, disrupting transit, and disguising themselves to infiltrate defenses and attack. Having to fight the Confederate Army on one front, as well as the guerrillas seemingly everywhere else, was exceedingly difficult for the Union. Scouting parties tasked with guerrilla capture were unsuccessful, as they remained at large to continue their ruthless attacks. A deep and unabating hatred began to form, not only for the guerrillas, but for the entire Southern population. As a consequence, the Union began burning homes, arresting innocents, and evacuating large areas as a precautionary and defensive maneuver. They lost all tolerance upon encountering the rebellious forces. Citizens soon stopped approving of the guerrilla strategy as the violence continued, and they began to suffer from Union retaliation. Without a supportive base, the movement eventually lost steam. However, the emotions surrounding the fighters and the region from which they came likely endured long after the war was over. Of course, America has not been immune to the superior fighting strategies of other nations when subjected to them as a world power on foreign soil. One such instance was the Vietnam War. During this conflict, the Vietnamese military they were up against, known as the Viet Cong, was instructed to avoid American confrontation except in instances where they significantly outnumbered them or in some other way held an obvious advantage. Leadership instead insisted that they use hit-and-run techniques, targeted ambush, and a system of underground tunnels in areas not concealed by swamp or foliage. These tunnels were not only for shelter, but for launching an offensive attack from beneath regions controlled by the enemy above ground. With an underground system that in some locations extended almost 200 miles, accessed by trap doors with hidden openings, the American forces never saw them coming. This combined with their stealth-like ability to blend in with a native habitat and move without making a sound, obliterated American forces. In addition to historical instances, the guerrilla approach still creates problems for America that linger today. The Taliban have all but perfected the use of the ambush, for example, and are adept at opening fire and then blending in with the local population, disappearing unseen to where it's safe so that they can attack again. They are understanding the approaches that work thanks to Soviet and American tactical-based literature and the information provided by watchful local informants. Combined, these have created a deadly and worthy opponent. Guerrilla warfare is an unconventional warfare at the hands of a typically smaller group working in opposition to a larger, more traditional force. As has been described, it can be extraordinarily effective as groups who wait and hide who ambush and surprise, who lurk in the shadows or beneath the surface, have the obvious upper hand. As guerrillas prove, there is much more that contributes to the outcome of battle than numbers or technology alone. The right strategy can make all the difference. But the question remains, where should the power that be draw the line? What's acceptable guerrilla te technique and what's going too far? Let us know in the comments. So, let's talk about that for a second. Can you see that you're engaged in guerrilla warfare right now? Because you are. You just haven't realized it yet. See, warfare comes in many, many shapes and sizes and tactics. It could be trap doors under. It could be um, hiding in swamps and in trees. But we are in the 2000s now. And this is a regular warfare on the digital battlefield. But because cyberspace has provided us instant remedies, instant answers, instant access. It had to be premeditated defense. And I'm going to 
showcase to you a very, uh, very not so seen video from 18 years ago. Well, no, it's 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years ago from, well, 22 years ago. Yeah. From 1999. I want you guys to listen to this. Washington Journal continues. At our table this morning is Roger Stone, longtime uh, involved in politics and the national level. This year, he's helping Donald Trump in his bid for the White House. Where does it stand right now? Well, Mr. Trump has said he'll make a decision uh, at the end of February. He has formed a uh, presidential exploratory committee. He has uh, changed his registration to the Independence Party of New York, which is the Reform Party affiliate. Uh, he's made his first uh, foray to Florida on the 15th of November. He's going to Hartford, Connecticut to meet with the Reform Party leaders on the 1st of December and then flying to Los Angeles to meet with Western Regional Reform Party members there. So he's actively exploring. He's uh, posted a website. He's put forward his first major proposal, his, uh, his economic, uh, his national debt reduction proposal. And um, we shall see. History shows us how difficult it is for a third party candidate mm. to make it to the White House. What is the success rate, do you think, and how do you uh, plan to help this candidate get there? Well, first of all, in the age of mass communications, all our politics is changing. We used to sit around tables like this and say, well, vice presidents don't get elected president. I mean, look at the success rate of that. And then, of course, George Bush got elected and broke that mold. Here's the fundamental question. Is the pop culture in this country more influential now than its institutions? There's no question that 20 years ago, somebody like Donald Trump, who is a real estate developer, uh, who does come out from outside the political mold, not a congressman, not a U.S. senator, hasn't worked way up, uh, doesn't need campaign contributions from special interests. Could somebody like that be elected president? Ross Perot changed all that. Ross Perot was cruising to being elected president in 1992 uh, before he self-destructed. Uh, I actually think uh, my friend Pat Cadell in California is right. The revolution has already happened uh, we're in a position here where the voters are fed up with both parties. They're looking for new choices. And if the American people are presented a viable, different choice, they may just take it. If you'd like to talk about Donald Trump and his bid for the White House, our phone numbers are on the screen here. They are 202-624-1111 for the eastern half of the U.S., 202-624-1115 if you're out west. And watching internationally, dial this number, 202-737-6734. What's the process for reaching the Reform Party nomination? Well, it's, uh, I like to boil it down into three points, uh, three steps, really. Step one, you have to go get yourself on the ballot as an independent in the 29 states where the party is not recognized. That is an onerous task. Uh, it takes volunteers. It takes a lot of money. It takes national name identification. There's a number of individuals who thought about running who I think looked at that mountain decided that it was too high to climb. I don't think, for example, that former Governor Lowell Weicker could achieve that. I don't think John Anderson can achieve that. I have serious questions whether Pat Buchanan can achieve that. Uh, I do think that it, the, the, the proper price tag using a combination of paid signature collectors and volunteers is somewhere around $8 million. Uh, but that's just step one. That qualifies you for the next step, which is the national primary, the Reform Party, under their rules. And their rules are really very, uh, they're very dynamic. They're very smart. They'll mail a ballot to any American who asks for one. 
So not only is every Reform Party member entitled to a ballot, those being defined as lists provided to the national chairman by the state Reform Party chairman, but anybody who signed any of those petitions to get you on the ballot as independent is entitled to a ballot. And any American who writes in and requests a ballot is entitled to one. That's democracy with a small d. I mean, that's how you build a party. Uh, and I'm betting that Donald Trump could bring more people to that party than anyone else. Are we likely to see Pat Buchanan and Donald Trump debates? Well, if Pat uh, is successful in step one, uh, Mr. Trump has said that he'd be willing to debate. In other words, let's determine whether Pat Buchanan gets on the ballot as a candidate. I, I'm highly confident that Mr. Trump could do so because, as you know, he's prepared to self-fund his campaign. And the first $10 million will come out of his own pocket to get on the ballot, um, as Ross Perot did in 1992. So, yes, I think you would you would see debates. First calls from Arlington, Texas. Uh, good morning, Susan, and good morning, Roger. Good morning. I'm a long-time reformer, and uh, I've got a couple, three things I'd like to talk to you about. Sure. First of all, it's very, very distasteful, and against everything the Reform Party stands for is all this name-calling that Donald Trump does. Secondly, I want to know whether or not Donald Trump will unequivocally support the party in the future and support the presidential candidate that we uh, choose next, next year in Long Beach. And finally, I'm wondering why, and don't give me scheduling conflict as a reason, because I know he's got time. Well, I want to Texas, Arlington, Texas, this coming weekend for the Reform Party of Texas meeting that we're going to have down here. I'd like to hear him, hear what he has to say. Well, that's a mouthful of questions. Let's take them one by one. If you read Mr. Buchanan's book, I think Mr. Trump's criticisms of him are accurate. Uh, the Reform Party is a fine vehicle. If you don't want to vote for Mr. Trump, don't vote for him. Uh, I would say that overwhelmingly the response that he's gotten from the fact that he's the first major political figure to come out and criticize Mr. Buchanan on his revisionist views on whether we should have stopped Adolf Hitler or not, um, positive it took John McCain and Elizabeth Dole four or five days later to issue their criticisms. Secondarily, uh, no, I don't think, although he is very proud about the fact that he has joined the party uh, and he would like to support the party's nominee if he is not the party's nominee, uh, I think he'd have serious problems supporting Pat Buchanan given the things that Mr. Buchanan has written about Jews and blacks and Mexicans uh, and his revisionist views of World War II. If Ross Perot were the nominee, I have little question Mr. Trump would feel very comfortable supporting Mr. Perot. He's a great admirer of Mr. Perot's. And the other day, uh, he told a reporter in my presence that this country would still have a national deficit if it weren't for Ross Perot, who kept that issue on the front burner. And I'm afraid we're not going to get to Texas uh, this weekend, but we are going to get to Texas in the very near future and hope to meet with Reform Party leaders there. Actually so how many of you knew that he had actually explored running before? Now, I'm going to tell you things that happened in 1999 from my perspective. Things that a lot of people don't know about. So in 1999, I was um, in Florida. And um, I uh, was in a room with a bunch of generals. Um, Brennan at the time was just uh, working for the agency. Um, and some of them weren't generals then. They were like lieutenant colonels, colonels, um, and a bunch of suits. And they were discussing the hanging chads. <laughs> they were discussing. Because it was a thing. 
uh, even though it wasn't a thing. And they were discussing uh, using electronic voting machines. And it was quite interesting because they were going to test that in another country. And so while everyone was talking about hanging chads when hanging chads weren't a thing, um, I actually said, like, wait a minute, but if you're going to use this, then people aren't really voting. I just, the way I say it is how I said it. I was just confused. And McCain turns around and says, oh, gosh. So we can't let people choose their leaders. Like, that would be utter chaos. And I was just like, what? In my head, I was thinking, what? I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, we are talking about enemies. I see. He's like, yeah, you've got a lot of learning to do. I was shocked. Shocked. And that project was called Project Brains. Um, it was how I started. This is what I would do. I would localize efforts for Project Reigns. Um, the official name, I don't know how they've classified it. Um, everybody knows what it's called when working on it. It was at that time that I realized something was amiss. So... All we did was archive. We noticed a technology company out in uh, Laos uh, that was being uh, heavily funded. Paul Sagan was part of that. Boston was playing a big role. Huge network. And... You know, then we got on, we used our little Netscape browsers. That's what's up, right? And kind of thought, well, maybe we could use cyberspace and see how we can get the people to think about their future. Utilizing the technology I had... Um, and getting together with a couple of people. I have to say it was a pretty big movement, right? Um, it's kind of awesome. Because people started asking questions about the future while everyone was worried about Y2K and the banks not working. It was different. That whole charade about the banks not working was all about networking. So again... If I knew of a small team, and many of them have expired due to life expectancies, right? From 1999. That's like the best irregular warfare. Because you already know where they were heading. So if you already know their plan, it is easy to stay on their heels and figure out how to usher the solutions. Again, it's not going to be one person. It's not going to be two people. 
Leaders make leaders make leaders make leaders. And it is a nation of leaders right now that are going to do this. You will have the obligation to stand and hold up that one man that stood there impervious to the attacks. I want to play a clip for you. It's a sneak peek type thing. Let me just pull up the website so that I can um, do this for you. It talks about pain. It talks about pain. It is stuff from Hunter Biden's laptop. No one's ever heard this before. So this is kind of new. I want to find the right one, though. <sighs> Give me a second. All right. Are you ready for this? Take a listen. Mr. Mother are killed is disaster. Right? Utter disaster. Right? And so the only way out is to say, look, I can't be, I can't play on the margins with my pain. I have to be all in. Like, I don't give a fuck. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll do I'll anything. I just never, ever cave until I'm, I'm ashes, which means I get resurrected anyway. So fuck you. Yeah. But look, I mean, you know, those who would say, yeah, you know, you got to just tough love it with this guy. And, um, you know, ultimately it's, disorder of character, I would say, like, now you don't understand, this is a one in a million shot that this person is able to, to actually decide, you know what, I, I'll deal with anything because there's some reason I've been asked to deal with anything. And it's not about the moment, it's about something that can come. As soon as you decide, okay, I'm going to the gym uh, of the pain gym. Yeah. Okay, guys, so who you're hearing is, you're hearing two people speak. Um, the person listening is Hunter Biden. And the conversation they're having is about, you know, it started off about him being sad about his mom and his sister being killed. But I want you to see how they actually admire President Trump and they talk about him in just a bit. Listen to this. He tells him about embracing pain and going to the gym of pain. It, that, that, that's exactly it. Because then well, you turn everything into an advantage that was a disadvantage. You can look anyone in the face who says, uh, we're going to, you know, you're in a contest of faith or strength or belief or anything and say, you get this thing. I, 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 I put down crack cocaine after losing my brother and falling in love with his wife and her time to go fuck myself. You think, like, you scare me? Like, you don't even understand. Like, I, I lost family members, I battled addiction. You have the exact wrong guy to go up against. So, so I have to become a 48-year-old kickboxer. I hear you. <laughs> I fucking hear you. Yes. I'm moving to, to, and I'm going to quit the crack and go on to the heroin because that's what they do over there mostly. That's, that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's I'm like telling you. Listen, me, uh, that's some pretty. That's some pretty, pretty out there. 
advice, but I'll I'll go with it. Man. Well, it's it, it's it, you know, you're in this way. You're, it's very clear what the test is. You you pass the test. You're a strong man. Like you know, you're you're Hercules. You don't pass the test. We you know we everyone grieves and says this is understandable and people are human. You pass the test, you're superhuman. So it's like, what, what, you know, who doesn't want to pass that test? Well, lots of people don't want it was the answer, but if you choose to, you're, you're unstoppable. I thought I passed it before. That's the thing that's well, the scariest part for real. Yeah. You know? And you well, know. that's maybe that's, uh, you know, look, I'm not, I don't know that I do well with it either, but, but I'd hope, I mean, no, no. I mean, I thought I passed it and realized this is the test yeah. never ends. The test never ends. That's what I was trying to say. Exactly. The test when do, when, but never when, ends. when do I, when do I get, and this is the, the total ego. When do I get to be Hercules? Every time you're tested and it's like recharging your batteries. No, but, but for, for me, but oh, for but, you, for the rest of the world, when, 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 oh, when, when, when do happen? I get to walk into the fucking arena? Uh, whenever your sister and mother are killed. The big understand. One example, but you have to have that core absolute belief. Like you can cut my arm off or my brother's arm off. Like I, you don't get it. I don't surrender. That's what I'm getting at, by the way. With the one example that the president provides is he doesn't fucking care. And they're referring to President Trump. That President Trump is impervious. He doesn't care. So I want you to listen to that. So this is Hunter speaking with a doctor, talking about his feelings. I want you to listen to that again. And I'm sorry I accidentally um, moved back for a minute. But listen to that portion again. Absolutely. Whenever you decide, you know what? Okay, let's go. You have that core absolute belief, like you can cut my arm off or my brother's arm off. Like I, you don't get it. I don't surrender. That's what I'm getting at, by the way, with the one example that the president provides is he doesn't fucking care. He's not. You know, I love a long shutdown, he says. Could go years because I'm invulnerable to pain. You people don't understand. You don't even get it. Shut it down. So there's that. I mean, and I'm sure he has other problems. But um, but like, you know, the big, the big examples are Gandhi, you know. Mm -hmm. These are the big examples of people who are like, so I won't eat. Okay. Let's see how that goes for you people. Okay. I don't need to eat. I can die. It's okay. But it wouldn't have worked if he was like, look, I'm going to use, I'm going to do lines of Coke until I have a stroke. He would be like, okay, this doesn't, the storyline has gotten too fucked up here. Are you sure you didn't do Coke? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure because he loved girls. So <laughs> I, I still haven't told Did Martin you. Martin Luther King use a lot of coke. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. See, you're such a racist. I swear to God. No, yeah, no, right. The Indian yeah, did right. An Indian the, and no, he black didn't. Man. He did not. Jesus Christ. Okay, but listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that mayor from D.C. did. No, no, that's Marion Barry. Marion Barry. Marion Barry. You, I, you know what? I, I actually smoke crack with Marion Barry. I swear to fucking God. Jesus. I was in Georgetown, and he used to go to a place right next to the guards, <clears throat> and I was a sophomore, I guess. It was a um, 
junior when that happened, but he used to come there and drink like late, late. And I would be in there. Uh, he goes to the bathroom. But anyway. So are you ready to uh, to um, anticipate welcome and you know greet terrible pain? Well, to be honest with you, um, no, I I I am uh, I feel like um, it couldn't get much worse than this. No, that's that's true, but. But, but I'll say well, this, I is this, no, it, I mean, it could get worse. I mean, obviously it could get worse. Yeah. But it doesn't get worse until, the, until you get, like, ultimately stopped, not by yourself, by someone else. I mean, by, by, by a, like, it gets worse when I think probably when you end up in jail or you end up dead or you end up, you know, whatever. But my point was, yeah. is it, did you, I, I keep forgetting to tell you. You know why you have a thirty-hour, um, uh, the thirty-hour shifts for um, interns, for doctors. You hear me? Oh shit! God damn it! So that was a snippet of a treasure trove that's coming, but uh, that was a discussion that he had, and he was talking about. Um, Martin Luther King doing coke and then admitting that when he was a sophomore at Georgetown, mayor of D.C. was smoking crack with Hunter Biden. Um, and he was and, and he would record his calls because he would have like a voice recorder thing. So there were a lot of traces of that uh, in his laptop from his iPhone. So we were able to um, put together a lot of this uh, over time. And there were a lot of people involved in this. Um, but think this therapist is asking him to embrace pain. This conversation happened on January 2019. So I thought it would be interesting for you guys to understand how they operate and how much they, even, even in this discussion of him getting pain and embracing it, they, they praise president Trump for being impervious. That's what they were saying. He's impervious to it. Oh, you want a long shot? Go ahead, do it. I'm still going to make it through. I'm still going to. They all admire him because they're jealous. Why? Because he's a true freaking leader. Why? <laughs> because he's got all of you behind him and all of you want him to be your president and your leader because he makes you a leader. That's it. He inspires people to become leaders. That is key. So I found this incredible uh, interview uh, of Donald Trump before he became president. Our president, he was talking about leadership skills. I want you guys to enjoy this one. It's only two minutes, but it's, it's pretty spot on. It is pretty spot on. I want you to listen to this. Leadership. I take such good care of my employees. I have thousands of employees. I take good care of them. We have great plans. My employees are lucky. They hit the lotto, okay? But I take great care. Education and, and health care. And my people are very happy. I love my company. I love my family. They're like, Dad, you know, your whole life is going to change. I, I love my life. I love what I do. And you have to love what you do to do it well. 
I mean, you need lots of things. You need family, you need jobs, you need education. But jobs is something we can really do something about quickly. We have to take the jobs away from other countries. And people like what I'm saying is because I want to put that energy, whatever the hell kind of energy is. I don't know if it's screwed up, if it's good, if it's genius, if it's what, whatever it is. I know how to do things. If I win, we We'll have victories all over. We will win on trade. We will win on health care. We'll win on everything. We will make America truly great again. For those of you that missed it, we win as a team and we lose as a team. There are no stragglers of some losers and some winners, right? That's key. We have to be where we go one, we go all. That's how you win. So if we all go to lose, we all go to lose. If we all go to win, we all go to win. No one dictates that for anybody. You do. So you have to decide, are you at one with your whole nation to move forward, stars forward? Do we all go where everybody goes? Or do we sit behind and say, well, why don't you guys go and I'll just come along when it's easy for me? See, that's how you lose, right? So where we go one, we go all. That is exactly what it means. We win together or we lose together. That's the way it is. We win together or we lose together. But I'm so sick and tired of watching these incompetent politicians that are all talk, no action. They don't do anything. And I just felt that I had to do it. I'm a great builder. What I do best in life, in all fairness, I build. Which is good, because your infrastructure in this country is crumbling. Isn't it nice to have a builder? A real builder. There's so much that can be done. There's so much potential. And the potential is the people. We have great people. We have amazing people. They just want to do it so badly. They want to do it so They understand I've had tremendous success. And they respect me. And... And what I'm telling, I don't need this. I don't need this. What I'm doing is for the country. I want to make America great again. One of the most heavily sought after buildings in the history of the General Services Administration, which owned it. You know, they're the ones that made the decision. And I got it. And we're building this phenomenal hotel, Trump International Hotel. It's going to open just in time. Just in time. And by the way, listen to this one. We're under budget and ahead of schedule. Do you ever hear that from government? So those are the 10th. Ten- the 10 leadership skills that he has been transferring to every single one of you, every single one of you. And I've been here telling you, you're in charge. You're the one that takes control where we go one, we go all, we go together as a nation, not, Oh, I'm a Republican. So I'm just going to go with the Republicans. or I'm a Democrat. I'm just going to go with the Democrat. It's all of us. United is one because a united America is an unstoppable America. And that is what we need to remember. So when people are telling you, you lost this irregular warfare, it's different now. It's not muskets and hiding in swamps. You have to understand that the war we're up against right now isn't with the mainstream media or with our local clowns that work in federal buildings, which by the way, great job you know, right-wing mainstream media talking about Zoom calls six months later when you could have talked about it when it came out. But, oh, Millie Weaver published it, so uh, we're not going to touch that because we're more important. Look at all the people on your TV sets 
that you believe are on your side bowing out. This is where you see the wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm? This is where you see it. For those that screech, there are people. I'm going to say this. There are people that, um, and, and you know what? The reason I'm saying this is because somebody else brought this up to me too. There are people in very in, in big positions that are appointed, elected, media, nanya, that many of you think are important. And so a couple of weeks ago, there was a conversation in a room of these people. And there were two elected persons in that room that know me quite well. And I was in, I actually, they told me this when I was in DC. Let me back on that. When I was in DC. So they said, she's here. Tori's here. We need to employ her to, to put this together for us. Guys, I kid you not. One of them flipped their top. Oh my God! Screaming, uh, screaming. Guys, this has happened consistently from people that you would never expect. All they did was screech. And um, someone else brought that up to me uh, the other day. And I, I've known this person for so long and they've never behaved like this. And, and, and I wanted, you know, obviously politicians and more establishment people, those that have sat in Senate intel committees, House intel committees, I would get it why they'd be a little bit upset. But you remember that picture that is made rounds where we had like a calendar with the screeching, you know, liberal, ah, you know, that's exactly how they were. Which, <laughs> which obviously I'm out here with my face in my name. I'm being crucified. But the fact that they didn't say anything bad, they just screeched. Dang. That was interesting. Screeching. Dang. That was super interesting. Why? Because nothing can stop what's coming. You have been empowered to take it to that level. Here's a, here's a patriot that has taken that level. I actually met him on January 6th. Great guy. Uh, you know, he's the guy with the gym owner, the gym owner down in Jersey that keeps getting shut down, uh, you know, getting fines for opening up his gym when New Jersey said, oh, no, you need to close it because everyone's dying. That one. Well, this guy's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, this interview is pretty awesome, too. Take a listen. Is very determined to crack down on crime, not murders and rapes, but anyone who criticizes the governor of New Jersey on Fox News. And that would include the people who run the Attila's gym. The owners of that gym have refused to stay closed this year. In November, we spoke to the owner, Ian Smith. So Frank and I are currently being fined uh, personally. Uh, governor Murphy has, has attempted to pierce the LLC he has fined us $15,497.76 per day. That fine day? started as per day, yes. Well, the Attila's gym has not paid those fines, but the 
state didn't wait around to litigate or adjudicate. They just took $170,000 from the gym's bank account because they can do that because they're the state. They don't have to ask permission. So a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, the state just goes into your bank account and takes it. Well, I told you guys when the attorney general came for me before he even filed anything in the court, he was already gaining access to my bank account with no crime, no loss, no complaint. And all of you are like, that can't happen. This is America. You're talking smack, Tory. <laughs> Am I, though? Am I? The state just emptied out their bank account. They went in and took their money. Why am I showing you this? Because they're going to come for yours too. They're going to come for every single dime you have because they can. And why can they do it? Because you let them do it. That's what you need to see. This is where it goes. This is what was at stake. For years, I've been telling you this has happened. But, you know, a lot of people don't listen to her. It's like, dude, it's all freaking documented in the court. But nobody reads it. Nobody reads it. They can access anything. Oh, uh, your kid's not vaccinated with the control of virus vaccine, even though people are dying from it, which they want to use against President Trump. But no, you wanted it. So take it. And Fauci went behind it, which I'm sure he probably wrote himself a rice email, right? Right? Saying something. Again, they will do. This is why they wanted the digital currency. This is why all these clowns are pushing bit currencies, digital currencies. You don't see it. You don't see it. Here it is. I mean, you know, when my mom was telling me, hey, there's capital controls years ago capital controls in Greece. I was like, how's that? Ha what do you mean? We're not allowed to withdraw more than like hundred euros every three days from our bank account in cash. Everything has to be digital. We're not allowed to have checks. We're not allowed to deposit cash. Everything has to be digital. This is years ago. I was like, what? Indeed, that is what happened. How did that happen? Where their constitution was changed to agree more with the European one and the Germans and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan sent their guys to help it set it up. So again, they went in and emptied his bank account. Listen. So we asked the state of New Jersey about this. They gave us the statement, quote, the state previously obtained a judgment from the court in the amount of $134,463.08, which the state intended to collect. Apparently the funds were a reference. You reference were frozen as a result of a bank levy having been issued due to the state's collection efforts, which is part of the enforcement of the judicial order. Okay, keep in mind, that all sounds very legal. If you stop paying your rent, how long does it take you to get evicted from your apartment? Probably New Jersey, a year or two? This happened like that. They targeted these people. Ian Smith is one of them. He's the Jim. He joins us tonight. Ian, thank you for coming on. I'm sorry about this. Thank you for having uh, me. Has Wait a minute. So what they did was they got a judgment, but he hasn't appealed to it yet. So how are they just taking stuff? Hmm? Think about it. Has the murder rate dramatically declined in, say, Camden? I, I mean, it seems like the state is focusing an awful lot of resources no, on crushing. No, I think it's actually higher, actually. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. I'll stop ranting. Oh, tell me what the state of affairs is tonight. 
So as of yesterday morning, uh, my partner and I checked the bank statement in the morning and we had no money in our bank account. Uh, the state mm. emptied out every single dollar that we have. This is in the middle of an appeals process and ongoing litigation in the matter of the fines and several other matters regarding the state, including a lawsuit against Governor Murphy and Jill, uh, Judith Persichelli herself. Um, this is, as, as simple as I can put it, this is interference with our right to counsel. This money in our bank account does not come from memberships. We have not charged our members since April 1st, since we originally shut down. This is donations and this is t-shirt sales that we have used to pay our bills and to fight our legal battles. And it is a clear and it is a, a, a blatant violation of our constitutional rights and our ability to defend ourselves in the court of law. Theft, theft, and they don't give two diddly squats about it. You see, that's what happens to actual people that fight. To actual people that fight, they will break you. They will destroy you. They will take everything from you until you bow down. And so what are you going to do? Sit there? No, you're going to start filing. You're going to start doing. Now, before we cut to a little break, I want to play this incredible clip, which talks about the 10 uncomfortable truths of the American Revolution. Why? Well, we are now in a worldwide revolution, if you haven't noticed. The whole world is against you. Not the president. You. You are the prize. You, you, you. And the more that I've been trying to put uh, all these things from Hunter's laptop in a way that you guys can see this and understand the gravity of it, the more I can demonstrate to you just how big this war is. This is a revolutionary war like no other, and it's us against the whole world. And the thing is, it's people, the rest of the people outside of the United States have already bent the knee to these corporations. This is a global war. This isn't a world war, blah, 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 with allies. It's us, the people, against all of them. And, you know, this is where <laughs> you're going to come to some realization how these uncom uncomfortable truths about the American Revolution ring so true today. If you can simile them to... 2020-2021. Revolution. The American Revolution and the Founding Fathers are practically deified in modern America, and many of the greatest figures from the period have been made into almost demigods of American myth and legend. However, the truth is that much of the reasoning for the revolution wasn't as pure as the history books make it out to be. And while it may be insanely popular now, the common man back in the day more or less was less than enthused one way or the other about it all. The American Revolution may have been the greatest triumph for early America, but things were not always what they seemed, and the Americans could not have achieved it without a lot of outside help. Number 10. George Washington was hardly a singular military genius. George Washington is probably the most popular and non-controversial American in history, and for very good reason. He presided over the revolutionary forces as they sought freedom from Britain. 
He managed to keep up the morale of his men throughout extreme adversity. He pulled off a couple of very clever sneak attacks and overall managed to ingratiate himself so much with the people that they practically begged him to be president afterwards. Indeed, many people were disappointed when he did not seek a third term, setting a precedent that would last until it was finally broken by the Roosevelt family with an attempt, and then finally with a success at winning a third term in office. However, while today most people in the United States consider him one of the greatest military minds of all time, many historians actually beg to differ. The truth is that George Washington lost way more battles than he won, and he spent most of his time running away from fights. His most famous victory, the crossing of the Delaware, was a sneak attack that would have failed if not for a British commander disregarding a warning notice. Indeed, his most famous victory was a combination of luck and enemy ineptitude. George Washington did a good job of keeping up morale and setting an example for the entire country, and he was very good at keeping his army from being pinned down or captured. However, the real for the genius military maneuvers in most historians' minds goes to generals like Nathaniel Greene, without whom the war effort would have likely been totally lost. So why am I showing you this? First of all, you're going to see heroes that you don't know about. But then you're also going to see how if you are the winner of anything, you get to write the narrative it is. But here they are, over 200 years later, dispelling whatever story they put out there. I mean, come on, let's be honest. George Washington, Cherry Tree, dude, the dude crossed the icy Delaware to kill his enemies in their sleep on Christmas Day, in the middle of the night. He was ruthless because that is how they fought wars then. And we've said this before, and I've made note that heroes or people that are winners or leaders that win or generals that win wars are not won because of them. It's because all of the people behind them. Those heroes like you, because you are the soldiers of Iwo Jima holding up that flag. But I want you to see the condescending way of them trying to dispel history in the way it was written when we all know. I mean, when the first president of the United States decides to cross an icy river on Christmas Day in the middle of the night to kill people in their sleep on Christmas Day, you know. That's what's up. Number nine, the British were spread incredibly thin and the Americans still needed help from their strongest enemies. The American Revolution is looked upon with great pride by most Americans, so it really is easy for Americans to play up their own part and forget how close things really were or just how much of a team effort it really was. The truth was that at the time, the colonies were fighting for independence and the British Empire, or as usual for the time, had their fingers in every pie imaginable. They were, in one way or another, irking their other powerful neighbors in Europe, and so it was in this atmosphere that the colonists managed to wrest control of their lives from the British crown. The French were the biggest key of all here, and the naval help they provided simply cannot be underestimated. Without French naval blockades of key areas, and also French naval support against the far superior British Navy, the Americans simply wouldn't have been able to get the revolution off the ground. The Spanish also played a very big part by- So what he's telling you is, Listen to this carefully. The only reason we won the Revolutionary War was because there were other wars happening. So the British were spread thin. They had the French going on, the Spanish going on, then the Spanish and the French together. So everyone was busy with that. So this little revolution happened and they didn't see it coming. Now, let's get to 2020. 
Do you see the same thing happening? Yes, you do. They did not see us coming. Even though they would just say, well, we're not going to talk about it and everyone's going to forget. Oh, we're going to turn this movement into a conspiracy theory. And these people were going to turn into vicious racists. And this, but they didn't see it coming. See, that's why nothing can stop what's coming. Because he's telling you exactly why this global war that they've waged against us has been lost. While there are many battles that you can lose, the war is what matters. Uh, battles are pretty much nothing. It's the war. It's the ultimate war. By having a second war front against the British, this spread them even thinner, and it made it harder for them to focus all of their energies on their colonies, especially in America. Much of the support that came from Europe for America was negotiated very carefully by Benjamin Franklin, whose deals in Paris may have single-handedly tipped the balance to win the colonies their freedom. Number eight, the American Revolution was not nearly as popular at home as you might think. The American Revolution today is probably the most well-regarded historical event in the history of the United States, and you couldn't possibly find a person alive in the country who would criticize it. For this reason, especially due to the very exuberant history that most Americans read, most of them figure that people were just itching to get out and fight for the cause of freedom. However, the truth is that things were almost entirely the opposite. Now, when the war first broke out, there was quite a rush of volunteers, but the enthusiasm, it didn't last very long. Life as a soldier is grim and it's brutal, and many of them had farms back at home that they were afraid would languish and fall into ruin if they weren't around to tend to them. As the war started to drag on, Washington despaired of getting enough men by voluntary enlistment and started suggesting that Congress instate a compulsory draft. While Congress did not instate this nationally, many of the fledgling states were already flexing their muscles to force people to join if enlistment quotas were not being met. However, lots of cash bounties were also offered, including land offers to sweeten the pot, as many soldiers admitted they only joined for the big payout as they saw it as a way to move up economically. Also now let's talk about some real history. He's right on that. People always want something. It's called self-preservation. They thought about their farms, which is normal, right? It's totally normal. But here's what happened before the war broke out. Before the war broke out, George Washington had an idea. Had an idea that was very, very risky. A risky idea to the people. The people of the United States had a routine. We work. We get paid, we pay taxes, we wake up in the morning, rinse and repeat. He said, wait, stop. Why don't we not do that? Why don't we just tell the crown to F off and we're independent and we work and keep everything in our pockets, in your land, in your, in your county, in your village, in your township, whatever you want to create. It's all yours. They don't own anything here. It's yours, yours, yours. So I'll tell you what, this is why we had Benedict Arnold. These people. Uh, that were hardworking, rinse and repeat, putting their head down, getting a job and paying taxes. We're like, well, this is kind of risky. I mean, right now we we're protected. They're savages. Uh, we have, you know, investments in our, uh, you know, community, in our, in our bland share, our plantation, whatever. Um, I don't know if I want to. So it was pretty much 50-50. The people that took the risk were the ones that had nothing to lose. Meaning, hey, I'm just going to be rinsing and repeating. 
why not go for change? And that's exactly what happened. It was one of the riskiest things to say no. One of the riskiest things to say, uh-uh, I'm going to go against the status quo because I believe that there could be something better. I'm going to say no to this agreement. I'm going to say no to what everybody tells me is the right way to go. I'm going to say no to the crown. I'm going to say no to the globalists. I'm going to say no to the swamp. I'm going to say no to advertisements. I'm going to say no to your mainstream media. I'm going to say no, no, no. I decide. I trust me. That's what happened then. And this is exactly what's happening now. No, no, no. I dictate my economy. I dictate my future. I dictate my infrastructure. I dictate if there's any taxes. I dictate the education. I dictate the manufacturing, the industries, everything. I, 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 I have power over my own body to pick the medicine I want. The queen will not tell me what to do, nor shall any king. I am the master of my own domain. These are the same statements made by those back in 1776. No different now, just we're adding a few things because, you know, evolution. This is it. This is it. Not me, yourself, you. No one should tell you what you must eat. No one should tell you when you need to go to your house. No one should tell you what you should and should not say. No one should tell you what you should or should not put in your body. These are the same pretty much fundamental issues of freedom that the people in 1776 dealt with that we're dealing with again today. So no different. See, as this guy is trying to take down the image of what you believe is the case, he's actually making a strong case as to why this revolution right now is pretty darn badass. And how do we see it? Three qualities of three traits of great leaders. This guy actually pretty, pretty much did a good job. And I want you to listen to this. It's, um, it's quite inspiring. Because then you'll realize that you're that leader. And you'll realize that things happen the way they happen because it had to so that you can recognize these three traits that you yourself have. Pedro's Kulian here, and today I want to talk to you about something very meaningful in my life, and I know that it means a lot in your life too, and that is leadership. If you want to be successful in life, in business, in relationships, with your clients, in anything that you do, leadership is paramount, and there's only three traits that the best leaders carry. Number one is you've got to be self-driven. Think about that. If you're the type of person that waits for others to give you an order, to give you your marching orders so that you'll do it and you only do the bare minimum without exceeding anyone's expectations, you are not a leader, you are a follower, you are a sheep, you are a part of the sea of mediocrity. The best leaders, no matter what you do, even if you have a job, you can be a leader in your department simply by seeing what's wrong and how you can improve and then taking action on it without anyone ever asking you to. That's what a leader does. A great leader is someone who's a self-starter and self-driven to achieve a higher level of outcome than anybody else. Number two is you've got to have a purpose. If you're a leader, whether in business, whether in fitness, in coaching or consulting, it doesn't matter. In your church, then you've got to have a purpose, a vision, 
a bigger reason, your why. What is your reason why? Life comes to you with adversity, with challenges. Life comes to you with a left and a right, and you are going to get knocked down. You are going to deal with temporary failure. You are going to experience the suck factor like you've never experienced before. Now, if you're a person that has that has the purpose in your heart and in your mind, then no matter how bad the adversity, how hard the challenge, how 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 strong the failure and how big and deep the suck factor, you are going to get right back up because your big reason why your purpose is what's going to get you to drive forward and put one foot in front of the other until you get to the outcome you're looking for. Now, before we get to the next and final trade, think of it this way. If you don't trip and fall, it's not much of a challenge. And we all know we love challenges. We love mysteries. We love puzzles. We love it. We love it. We love it. And right now is where the pain begins. And if you fall down and you eat dirt, a great leader always has other leaders around him to give him that kick in the butt, to give him that extended hand, because where we go one, we go all. One falls, we lift them right back up. That's the way it is. You haven't realized that these past four years of President Trump was creating leaders in you. Arming you with the tools to see truth and light. And you know what? Reagan said it best. If they can't see the light, you make them feel the heat. Are you hot now? I bet you're sweating. You have a purpose and you are a leader. That is your reason why. That is what helps you overcome adversity, challenges, and the suck factor that's guaranteed to come. So what is the third component? Well, this third component is the thing that holds it all together. The third component that I'm going to share with you right now is the glue that holds a leader together. And that third component is enthusiasm because the best leaders are enthusiastic. They get others to see their vision and follow along in their vision. The best leaders know that enthusiasm will motivate and inspire people to action. If you are not enthusiastic in your words, if you are not enthusiastic in your actions, if you don't have a smile on your face and you're just, you're just you've got to be bursting, bursting with energy out of every cell when you're around your team, around the people that you coach and consult and you train and inspire. If you are low tone, if you are negative, if you're a pessimist, you are not a leader. However, the best leaders in the country are those who have an optimistic mentality. You have got to be able to be an optimist and the best optimists are people who are enthusiastic because they can lead, they can get others to be inspired and they can get everybody on the same page. And so enthusiasm is akin to greatness. It's the brother of happiness. It is the father of optimism, and it is what leaders are made of. You understand that? You've got to be enthusiastic. You've got to have enthusiasm pour out of yourselves because it is infectious, and you want your entire team and the people that you lead and the people who follow you to share that vision, and only enthusiasm will get you there. It is the optimist who is enthusiastic. It is the person who can see the future who is enthusiastic, and it is the person who can lead who is enthusiastic. So if you're not enthusiastic throughout your day, wake up and be happy, be grateful, be thankful, be enthusiastic for the life that you have, the opportunities that you have, the challenges that you are given so that you can get stronger as you overcome these challenges of life.
You see, challenges in life are not given to you to break your spirit. You do know that, right? Challenges in life are given to you because you're a leader. You're destined for greatness. But what you have to do is overcome those challenges, those adversities. And the only way that's going to happen is if you work through it. This is Bedros Kulian. I'll see you later. Bye. So he was pretty good. I hadn't watched the whole thing. I kind of like it. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. Every single day that I've been on air with you, I've already told you I know the future. I've already seen it. I've seen all the timelines, the good and the bad. And all the good ones are more in abundance. Uh, which, uh, which story ending to the point of end that I look at is going to come to fruition? That depends on you and how you see it. So many people, oh, what am I going to do? I'm just here. I'm, I'm retired. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Watch us. We're going to remove Congressman Gonzalez. Remember last week when I freeze-framed on a picture with all the damn congressmen, right? And I said, you see these people? These are the first ones to go down. America, the whole world will hear us roar. I told you that. And then over the weekend, huh? All the mainstream media posted it. Oh, President Trump's out for blood. They're going to remove him. No, duh. So in Ohio, I haven't found, I found, and I believe this is true, that the Constitution of the state of Ohio does not afford Ohioans an avenue to redress their grievances and recall or impeach someone that they may have buyer's remorse on um, at all which is unconstitutional. So uh, while I wait for later this evening where um, I have reached out, well, through one, through two people that are pretty well versed in Ohio constitutional law, I'm going to find out if indeed that is true, right? I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I mean, I can read pretty quick and I skim pretty quick, but I'll tell you what, if that's the case, then here's what's going to happen in Ohio, and I'm telling you this, and all of us are going to make this happen. The whole world will hear Americans so loud. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to write a letter. Well, I've already started drafting the letter, believe it or not, in between of trying to code a website, trying to put things together. I mean, I, I'm giving you guys a whole computer. So... um, and some servers, and some, and some, and some. Huh. Wait till you see what's coming. But what letter I have is to the state legislators of Ohio. And the question to the, the task posed to them is, I would like for you to create a special session to immediately create an avenue for the citizens of Ohio to be able to recall and impeach anyone that has been elected into a federal position. You will have seven business days to respond. Now, the last sentence will be, if you do not find such a remedy, we will impeach and recall every single one of you. Now, that's how you make it happen. You go in there and you're like, yo, you've been elected to write the laws in the state. We want you to write a law now, not when you're in session, not when you feel like it, but right now, because we said so. And if you don't do it, then I will remove and replace you with someone that will.
because you are supposed to be my voice. This is what we're doing. And why Ohio? Well, proximity. I'm like right here. Why not? Gonzalez ran on the premise that he loved President Trump. He took everybody's money because he loved President Trump. Yet he voted to impeach President Trump. Guess what? You fraudulently took the money from the people. You're a crook. You're a thief. And you do not deserve that position. See, that's how you make shit happen. Because when people say you can't recall and impeach, just primary them. Fuck that. You have state legislators. Their job is to make the laws that you want. If you want a law that says buy of buyer's remorse on some clown that I elected to represent me on a federal level, I should have the right to pull it. My constitutional fourth amendment allows me to redress grievances. My first amendment does. Everything does. I want that Avenue. And if you don't do it, I will replace you with Joe on the corner with no teeth that has absolutely nothing to his name that will go in there and do it. But Joe toothless Joe on the corner can't read. That's okay. He's going to use our taxpayer money to hire someone that can read for him. And then that person that he hired with our tax dollars will explain it just fine to him on his level because the representatives of the people aren't supposed to be all lawyers aren't supposed to all be businessmen they're supposed to be housewives retirees bakers you know uber drivers students whatever that's the way it goes so this is what's happening i'm telling you this is happening so for those of you on the telegram groups on the ohio ones let's get it together oh we need a party to run no we don't we run people. We don't need any establishment unit that will take our money and distribute it as they see fit. We don't need them. We will knock on the doors. We will get the signatures. And the day that we need those signatures to oust out Gonzalez, we will all descend his district and go door to door. All of us will descend on the district and go door to door. We don't need to pay someone to collect signatures. We're going to do it within a day. Oh, and just to add to it, so we can motivate other people. <laughs> if the state legislature decides that they will not create a special session to make that law for the people of Ohio, well, the day that we submit that, hey, we're to the Secretary of State that we're recalling and impeaching them, guess what? We're also going to have another one that's going to recall and impeach the wine. Ohio will be a shit show. And that is exactly what we need. And this is how you make it happen. Remember, there's only one Democrat spot here with a couple of flu, <laughs> fluffy dildo waivers, and that's in Cleveland. <laughs> so whatever. We got the rest, though. And that's what's going to happen. All of us will we do what our founding fathers intended, that we have the power. So don't let anyone ever tell you, oh, you can't do that. There's no way. Do you know how many messages of that I, I get? Who says? Who said, oh, uh, your state's constitution. Good. Then we need to fix it. Let's do it. That's easy. You can remove your state legislator in a heartbeat. All you need is like, what, a thousand signatures? 2,000 signatures? Dude, 20 of us out on the street in one day, we got those signatures. That's what's up. So don't let anybody ever tell you, oh, they're just more powerful than us. Maybe we should just primary them. Uh-uh. No, we're going to take them out the way we want to take them out. 
not what's comfortable for them, not what's comfortable for RNC. RNC will never see a penny again. Neither will the DNC from those that are flipping on that end. Don't let anyone ever, ever, ever tell you that you're the underdog. Let's take a coffee break. Nice break, huh? Hopefully all of you got coffee, had a cigarette, and came back. Let's see where we're at now. So you are being told by the mainstream media that you're the underdog, that this guy is getting inaugurated and you have no say in that because we said so. AP called it, the world called it, everybody on the planet called it, except for your votes. Your votes didn't call it. Now, there's a lot going on in the background that'll pretty much tickle a lot of people. Today, I was able to um, get some stuff that uh, I wish I had a couple weeks ago. But nevertheless, better late than never. Because like I always say, justice never comes in in a Ferrari. It freaking comes in on a donkey, right? How many times have I said that? You never see justice come in on a Ferrari. It's always on a donkey. Slowly but surely. So I thought that today being Monday and this week's going to be pretty crazy. I thought um, I'd give you tools that you can take with yourself and that you can listen to. I want you to not be distracted. There's a pastor, Pastor Stephen Furtick. So yesterday um, in the evening, I was in a, in, in a place where I was constantly getting distracted, distracted with her thoughts in 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 my personal domain in my personal life i am in in crazed turmoil right i have um a lot of things to think about my kids uh school um you know obviously one of my contracts this morning being told that you know, is, is being vacated canceled i mean they're trying to suffocate everyone and um i'm supposed to be starting at iheart um but you know, with the inauguration and the Browns, well, they lost. So I'm supposed to be starting on Sunday, but because of the inauguration, um, I don't know. See, everything's just getting weird for me personally. So I was kind of thinking, you know, I'm getting distracted with all this stuff when I should stay focused. I mean, for this whole weekend, I've been pounding trying to get this laptop open for you. And I wanted to play a clip because he said really good words about how evil distracts you. And this is something, believe it or not, that Napoleon talked about. Remember Napoleon Bonaparte, who was so good at waging wars and winning them? But people say he lost Waterloo, but he didn't. Right? Right? He didn't. Or did he? That's the question. So take a listen to this. 
when God is trying to do something in your life. The enemy will always present another enemy that is not the real enemy to keep you distracted from fighting the one that you're called to defeat. In David's case, it was his brother, his big brother. <laughs> his name kind of sounds like Goliath. But not Eliab. He was tall. For a minute, Samuel thought he was supposed to be the king because Saul was tall, and he saw in uh, Samuel saw in Eliab what he had seen in Saul, which is height, not heart. And God said, "Don't look at his height. Look at his heart. Stop judging your situation externally." It's what's inside that counts. It's what's inside that counts. And Eliab starts judging David's motives. He's like, look at this in verse 28. He goes, um, uh, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? Now, all of these things David had taken care of. He's a very responsible young man. But, but really what's happening here is I believe the enemy is trying to trigger David to get him to fight the wrong person. Because watch, if he stands here and argues with his brother, he will never even see his enemy. This might be the whole sermon for somebody. Now just look straight ahead if you're married. Sometimes you're fighting against what you're supposed to be fighting for. And you have to call a timeout sometimes. You have, to, you have to sometimes be like, wait a minute, you're not my enemy. Wait a minute, you're, you're, you're not who I'm supposed to be fighting. And, and if, if David gets caught up fighting Eliab, he never sees Goliath. If he gets distracted, some of us are defeated simply because we're distracted. Now, you know how the story ends, but think about how it could have ended. David, for the next two hours, defends himself to Eliab. I was the other day checking on some Instagram posts, seeing if they were touching people's lives. You know, I would like to say that I always do it with a pure heart, but sometimes I scroll to look for people who say mean things to me. And that's a dysfunction. And I'm not saved all the way yet. I am saved. I was saved. I'm being saved. This is the part that's in progress. Sometimes I just like to imagine the response I could sing. You know what the Spirit of the Lord told me the other day? First of all, it's one out of 300 people who say something negative. That's number one. Number two, if you would invest a fraction of the energy into blessing people that you put into defending yourself, you would be Mother Teresa. You would be St. Paul. Let me tell you something on that. Patrick Berge had always said to me, Tori, if we're defending ourselves in any argument, we're already losing. So a lot of people, um, you know, don't like him for whatever reason, and that's fine. But what he said is 100% true. All of you have been distracted, and you can't see the psyop. You have people running you down through rabbit holes that are not necessary right now. You're not looking at the enemy. The enemy. You're running, oh, I follow this guy. He totally said this. Oh, is so-and-so alive? Oh, this, oh, that. Oh, this. Oh, that. You're running down rabbit holes that are unnecessary. You need to focus on who the enemy is. 
focus. That's the thing. I, I want, do you know how many times in Telegram I'm ready to respond with it? What do you think of this? I think this guy's a prophet. Oh, this guy's like totally on point. I think this. Oh, look, um, uh, Patrick Byrne's new channel. Patrick Byrne doesn't have a channel, period. I've said that a couple times. Oh, and I listen to this person. They're like so good. And they said this. What do you think about that? Stop going through rabbit holes and focus on the enemy at hand. Focus. Who is your enemy? Who do you think is your enemy? Do you think it's China? The globalists? Your enemy is you. You can't stay focused. Focus. The enemy is you. Why? Because you let them gain power. You leave them in power. You've elected them. You've sat by and let them do it while you've been busy chasing down rabbit holes and reposting things about dumbs and everything. Those are all real. Done. There is so much evil. Done. But focusing on it isn't doing anything. How are you going to expose that when the people that are involved with that are sitting in elected office? I've been saying that so long. Yes, we're gathering evidence. Yes, we're talking about it. Yes, we're putting the conversation, but we are playing right into their hands. Exactly that. That is the problem. You are not seeing, you're not going to fight with Goliath. You're sitting there fighting with your brother. You are your worst enemy. And for what's to come, like my tweet said, before it was banned, we are going through unprecedented circumstances uncharted waters and we have the best damn captain on that ship <laughs> and about what so i've got six thousand there so i'm going to estimate eight thousand of you are listening right now live on digital media not the radio right because i can't see those metrics so i've got eight thousand of you so i'm going to say six thousand of you are going to jump ship you're going to jump ship and beat me telling you, but you are going to jump ship. Self-preservation, guys. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. It was all your fault we're here. It was all your fault that this is happening. It's all your fault. Take responsibility for it. It's totally fine. Everybody messes up. It's what you do when you stumble or you create a situation you don't want. What are you going to do? Oh, well, um, I'm just going to wait to primary them. Oh, so you're going to give money to the GOP to run a guy who you met that told you all these nice things. You think once he gets in office, he's going to fix it for you. Fuck that. How, where has that? It's like insanity doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. No, they don't make the laws. You do. They don't make the rules. You do. This is why I said. I'm going to take the risk. And boy, I'm just saying, when another team said national treasure, that ends in tragedy and it terrifies me. It terrifies me, but I am more than happy to do it because what's my goal, right? You have to have a goal, right? What is your goal? To do what you were intended to do, right? Do what you intend to do. It's going to be really hard for a lot of us, but I know that I'm going to have a lot of people jump shit, but it's going to make things start rolling. Because when we tackle Ohio, which is the easiest one to tackle, I mean, it's super red and people are super pissed, right? 
super red, super pissed, the rest of the states will follow. You will be inspiring other Americans to do it. It always takes one person to do it. One drop, one drop to overfill that glass. And this is what we have to do. And all of you are employed to do so as well, because it's every single one of ours fault that this is happening right now. This is it. So what is going to happen this week? You need to remember what the art of war is. So I found an actually a very good explainer video because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people subscribe to titles and tiaras. And even though, I mean, I, I was met with it by people that I love and adore. Oh, what's your source on this? I'm your source. Yeah, we're going to run with this. Next day, I was right. Oh, well, it's okay. I mean, it's not late. We could still report on this. It's like titles and tiaras. Now, take a listen to this. <laughs> In the age of bloody civil war, 2,500 years ago, a Chinese military commander, strategist and philosopher emerged. His name? Sun Tzu. After successfully defending the state of Wu against its neighbor Chu to the west, a book formerly known as Master Sun's Military Methods was born, which has later become known as The Art of War. The Art of War is the most influential treatise on war consisting of 13 chapters, each of which is devoted to one aspect of warfare. It has shaped the way in which conflicts have been fought for thousands of years, from the Japanese samurai to the Napoleonic War. Not only has the book influenced military commanders and generals all over the world, it has had resounding effects on politics, sports and business to this day. The art of war is of vital importance to the state. It's a matter of life and death, a road either to safety or to ruin. Hence, the subject of inquiry which can on no account be neglected. Sun Tzu has a holistic philosophy that if you follow correctly and study thoroughly, you will be victorious. Sun Tzu says, avoid what is strong and strike at what is weak. Sun Tzu is a strong believer that winning the war with as little unnecessary combat as possible is the key to true victory. Now let's apply this. Avoid what is strong and strike at what is weak. It's kind of like the advice I gave my eldest daughter when she went to college. She, she was like, I'm going to Yale. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. I was like, why would you do that? You want to get into a good graduate program. You want to focus on XYZ area. So why would you go into a pool filled with sharks and battle out with sharks when you can go into a pool of goldfish and be the shark? And then you eat all the goldfish. So when you enter the arena with other sharks, damn, you're well-fed and you're huge. See, this is exactly what we're doing with Ohio. This is the weakest point, right? In all of the nation, in all of the states, this is the state that is the weakest one. Weakest in the sense that we can target Gonzalez in a heartbeat, we could target to one heartbeat and the state legislature in a heartbeat because they let the people down by allowing DeWine to do all his crap. This is why I said we hit him twice. Here's the one for DeWine. Here's the one where I'm removing you, House Speaker, State, Majority, whatever. All of you are going. All of you. Because they are the weakest. You see? 
I, I want you to understand the strategy here. I'm teaching you the strategy. Huh? Avoid what is strong. I'm not going to go to California and try to do this. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. What about New York? Definitely not going to work. North Dakota? <laughs> nope. You have people in office that have been there for 30 years at the Secretary of State. Shit gets lost. Judges are paid. Where do you go? Ohio. Can't go to Tennessee either. Can't go to Florida, right? They're not having many issues with their governor, but damn, a red state with a clown like DeWine that gave birth to cases. Oh, which by the way, you're going to hear and see a lot of him in Hunter Biden's laptop. We've got Jim Jordan, a wrestler who's going to be by the side of the people. This is where it's weak. Look at, stand back and look down on the United States. Where would it be the easiest that conservatives, God-fearing, loving Americans, have a chance to, to start the fire? Where is it? That's right. The state of Ohio. See, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. North Dakota, they say, oh, we can impeach. We could do that. You can't do diddly squat. You got a secretary of state that's been in there for over 30 years, an attorney general that's been there for 22 years. They will crush you before you even lift your finger. Look at me. And, and I'm impervious. Like that guy said, huh? I've been, <laughs> what did, what did that, 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 um, coach slash doctor tell Hunter Biden? Oh, even if you cut off my arm, I ain't feeling nothing. Yeah. Cause I've been around this rodeo before many, many times ago. And so as I have been around this rodeo and have released and unleashed all this pain and misery, I've also given the hope. And so, Hey, I'm an op optimist. Right? I see everything because I see what the end game is. So Virginia wouldn't happen. You've got Virginia National Guard that deployed the shadow net anyway in all states that had Dominion machines and all riots. That's not happening. I mean, you guys are labeling states. It's not going to work. But Ohio, well, boy, you see it now? Strategy. Strike what is weak. That's what's up. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. So how do you do that? Think about it. While he elaborates, I want you to think about it in the example that I just gave. And the key to doing so is to know your enemy well. If your opponent is arrogant, pretend to be weak, so he will underestimate you. If he was relaxing, attack and give him no rest. If his forces are united, separate them. Sun Tzu is essentially saying that if you know your opponent's weaknesses and how to exploit them, you will never lose. So... Do we know the weaknesses in the state of the, uh, Ohio? Oh, frick, yeah, I do. And all you Ohioans do too. That's what's up. We've been doing a lot of research for the past year, right? This is where we're going to set the fire at the O. Set the fire at the O. We know their weaknesses. They're all small businesses here. Ha. What about the state legislature? Damn, didn't we get them rounded up at Toledo, right? Where they like came up and arrested the head of the Republican, right? Huh? Huh? See? See? There we go. They love their football. They can't watch it. All these shops closed down. They sued the crap out of DeWine, right? Come on. We know their weaknesses. They've got limp-wristed idiots in state legislature. It'll be cakewalk. 
cakewalk for those of you Ohioans that are going to be involved with it in this. Take it, take it like this. It's your chance to get into state legislature and make stuff happen. You're going to be the one replacing them, not their friend, not the dude down the road that has, you know, 20 businesses or the big farms or, you know, has a software company. It's going to be you. So at dawn, the hopeless Athenians do the unthinkable. They attack. They attack the weary Persians as they disembark their ships on shaky legs after a month at sea. They attack before they can establish their war camp and supply their soldiers. Sun Tzu says. One more thing about Ohio. How much money did they get from Wexner and Epstein? Oh, dear. All we need to do is unleash all of that kitty stuff. And boy, will they go running. So if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. <laughs> and over the past four years, during a Trump administration, right, we've had a lot of battles, a lot of fires to put out. And while those fires were burning, and there were still embers, but they were burning, every single one of you were distracted because that's what evil does. Distracts you so you can focus on something else rather than the fire that's afoot. A fire that's afoot. So, again, do you know your enemy? Huh. Let's pretend the enemy is the Constitution of Ohio not letting people, because uh, that's your one enemy, right? The Constitution of Ohio does not allow for the citizens of Ohioans, I think, that hasn't been yet, to recall or impeach anyone that is that they've elected to represent them on a federal level. So that's your enemy number one. So you go to number two and say, hey, you need to fix this for me because I said so. And then, ah, that's not the way it works. It doesn't work like that? All right, that's fine. I'll remove you and put someone in there that's going to look at it like that. And that's how it goes. So you start with the O. I mean, O's turn into other letters oh, real easily. So you start like that. Take them where it is. And you know them because there's a lot of people in state legislature here in Ohio that have taken some dirty kitty porn money from Wexner. We've got a lot of Wexner stuff around here, Epstein stuff around here. Uh, it's not going to be safe for them to walk on the streets. I mean, they won't even be able to lift their head out when some of that stuff goes forward. And we could talk about the laboratories and the research they do in the state of Ohio. I mean, it would suck if they had human trials, right? If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. During the mid-1960s, a war took place between the North Vietnamese Communists and the United States of America. Instead of confronting the Americans head-on, the Viet Cong had a different idea in mind. They used unconventional guerrilla warfare, which included hit-and-run strategies. This proved very effective against the much larger military of the Americans. It's more important to outthink your enemy than to outfight him. The Viet Cong forces were inferior to the Americans in both man and firepower, so guerrilla warfare tactics allowed them to inflict significant damage while keeping their casualties to a minimum. They also had unparalleled knowledge of the terrain. This included a vast network of underground tunnels, allowing them to evade carpet bombing and enemy. The terrain was also laced with various booby traps and landmines. Even though the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese were heavily outarmed by the American superpower, they were still able to defeat them as they truly understood Sun Tzu's philosophy. All warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, 
we must appear inactive. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. When far away, we must make him near. Ooh, how does that apply? So based on deception. So how are we deceiving them right now? We're telling them we don't know how to fight. We're not going to go out with our guns. We're not going to do bloodshed. We're not that pumped. But yet we are. We feel we, we're looking like we're not doing much. I mean, they've silenced us. They've removed us from social media platforms. But we're still having conversations with people around us. Church, outside, on the train, in traffic, whatever. Right? I'm just saying. These are just like small examples. But we are very able. And we are very active. Now, are we near? <laughs> yeah, we are. We've been near. So it's called desensitization, right? Desensitization. They can't smell it anymore because <laughs> they've been in that room too long. So, huh, as we're far away, we make them believe that we're near. Well, that comes at the last minute, actually, when they realize that the storm is upon them. And every single storm, you usually are prepared. Not when you're desensitized like them. They know. They know that uh, they've taken away what they believe are the tools to get things done, which is the president of the United States. What they believe they took away. In essence, by that attempt and that move, they've emboldened us and empowered us more than ever more than ever that's the way it is and this is how we set the world on fire we start with ohio because it's weakest all of them are weak i'm gonna say this week when state legislature gets that letter which i will hand deliver myself Let's just see how they respond because I'm going to make sure that it goes out to the media too. Let's see how they respond. I mean, that's if they need to get that letter and we don't just find an avenue or some loophole in the constitution, but this is how it begins. And it's all us. We don't need them. I've been migrating you to alternative platforms for that reason. Communication, right? Because they can't stop us from talking and networking. The internet's not all theirs, not all of it, some of it, not all of it. Hmm? This philosophy can be seen in the World War II invasion of Normandy, known as D-Day. The British created several fictional units of troops stationed in Scotland who were ready to invade Europe through its northern regions, in particular Scandinavia. They then used several misinformation techniques to persuade Hitler that 350,000 of these troops were primed to attack. Radio chatter in Scotland lit up with the talks of these troops preparing for an overseas assault, and many of these transmissions were made easily interceptable. Allied spies who had been able to infiltrate the Germans reported these developments as well, reinforcing their legitimacy. These spies also took photographs of planes and tanks posed for invasion, but these were actually blow-up models in most cases. All this caused dozens of German divisions to go up to bogus locations and wait for an imaginary army to show up, whilst important battles were fought elsewhere. This method of dividing enemy forces was also employed to a greater extent on D-Day itself. Soviet forces kept around a million of the German forces busy on the Eastern Front, whilst the Allied invasion occurred on the Western Front. This tactic of dividing the enemy is one of Sun Tzu's key philosophies and allowed the Allies to achieve victory and eventually win the war.
Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the video, make sure to. Well, we can subscribe, but we already know the theories. We already know the philosophy behind it. We've been living proof of it. And this is where we put all the training and practice that we've had in the past four years to come to this moment where we could see things clearly. Huh, Ohio's weak. Epstein, Wexner, Battelle. Oh, and then, you know, in the state of Ohio, oh, wait, Cleveland, let's say, morning, there's a curfew because apparently after 10 o'clock at night, coronavirus just goes everywhere and everyone must be locked into their home. And you don't get coronavirus if you're sitting down in a restaurant and eating. Only get it when you stand up and go to the bathroom. This is how you see exactly what is going on. They're weak. They're doing everything, everything to convince you of stupidity. Stupidity. It's, it's so stupid. They think you're dumb. But yet, huh, look at us. We can collect all we need on Battelle and human experiments. We can collect everything we want on Wexner. We have most of it. We can divvy up every single person in state legislature. We're going to create the room on Wednesday. So that way we can divvy up and assign ourselves. Uh, we, do we don't need anybody. Assign ourselves one state legislature in, in Ohio, House, Senate, and tear them up. Find everything we can about them. Money, everything. Let's do it. And we'll have a profile for each and every one of them. Quite quick, quite simple. It's going to be swift, and they won't see it coming. They'll be like, oh, people are angry, but what are they going to do? They're not, oh, wait a minute. And we're not just going to hit you. We're going to hit the governor, too. We're going to take down the whole state government because we said so. And that's the way it is. And I know that a lot of Ohioans are so pissed right now, so beyond pissed. And I am so grateful that God led me to that state. It was like, that was so weird, right? It was totally coincidental. Weakest state right now is here. And once this is done, every single state will go through the same motions. We will be putting out a template for all of America to follow, and we'll be there right there with them. Because all of America is going to help all of Ohio. And then all of America is going to help Tennessee, Indiana, North Dakota, Minneapolis, Maine, New York, California, everywhere across the nation. We're going to flip it and it's going to be done. Why? Because we're in charge. And when they tell you you can't do it, you're going to tell them, watch me. That's exactly what our president said. They don't make the laws. You do. Oh, no, they do. Because you gave them the power to. But the minute they don't do it, guess what you do? You remove them. Huh. Not only that, when we hit the Ohio legislature, if there is none, we're also going to throw a petition at Secretary of State demanding that every single electronic voting machine is removed and everything goes to paper ballots. We could do that, too. We can file that and put it on you know, an agenda for state legislature to move it along. We're going to hit them on so many, but you guys have no idea how many fronts I have ready for them. Uh, pushing for open records requests and, and, and sunshine laws to be uh, appreciated when it comes to Battelle and funding and how they fund state legislature. Dude, we have them by every single hair on their body. There is no room for wiggle. So 
for all of you out there that are state legislators in the state of Ohio, careful because America is coming for you. Could you imagine all of us patriots focusing on one state at a time? Yes, yes, yes. That's the way it is because we're the best at information. We're not going to rely on the news. We're not going to rely on some superhero. You're the damn superhero. And that's what we are doing. We are taking back this nation like no other. And we're going to start with the easiest form. Now, on that note, I wanted to show you a little clip slash listen to a little clip about how did Napoleon lose Waterloo? Very important because there's a lot of people that are argue he didn't lose it and many people that will say he did. So how did that happen? Let's take a look. Located in the South Atlantic Ocean, the island of St. Helena was remote, unpleasantly humid, and perpetually damp. Here, a man who had once conquered a continent and terrified the world was stuck in the deteriorating Longwood House, a far cry from the palaces he once resided in. He spent days reading, writing about the great heroes he admired, and sharing tales of his fascinating life with the throngs of visitors that made the journey to see him. Many afternoons were spent brooding about the 18th of June, 1815, the day that he, the emperor of the French, was beaten one final time. On a handful of ridges near Brussels, the Hundred Days period came to a close, and the Seventh Coalition was victorious. Napoleon's fleeting restoration ended just four days later, and with it, his dream of ruling France. But could this disastrous failure have been avoided, or was his fate sealed before the first shots were even fired? In today's historical analysis, we're looking at whether Napoleon could have won at Waterloo. Impossible is a word to be found only in the dictionary of fools. After doing the impossible and bloodlessly reassuming power, Napoleon was already back on the offensive, having just won a strategic victory at Quatre Bras against the British, and what would be his final victory at Ligny against the Prussians, he was on the move toward the site that would reverberate in his mind forever, Waterloo. The reinvigorated Grand Armée that Napoleon mustered consisted of about 72,000 men, 14,000 of whom were cavalry. Unsurprisingly, given his fondness of artillery, Napoleon fielded an impressive 250 cannon, a full 60% more than the British. The coalition army under Arthur Wellesley, the first Duke of Wellington, consisted of 68,000 men, about 11,000 of which were cavalry, and 150 cannon. Finally, the Prussians under Gebert von Blücher arrived later in the battle and had a total of 48,000 men about 7,000 of whom were cavalry and approximately 134 cannon. On paper, Napoleon held a clear advantage. He had more men who were generally better trained and more experienced than their opponents and more firepower. Furthermore, as Wellington himself said while eating breakfast during the morning of the battle, Napoleon's presence on the battlefield was worth 40,000 men. But while Napoleon's troops were of higher quality, his officer corps left much be desired. A serious brain drain among the higher ranks affected the French forces at Waterloo, and many officers were assigned command of unfamiliar units upon arrival to the battle. 
Even the best soldiers are ineffective when they lack direction. So, how did things shake out? Well, you guys know. Had it not been for the desertion of a traitor, I should have annihilated the enemy at the opening of the campaign. I should have destroyed him at Ligny if my left had done its duty. I should have destroyed him again at Waterloo if my right had not failed me. Whoa. Now let's apply this to 2021. Let's, 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 had it not be for the desertion of a traitor, I should have annihilated the enemy at the opening of the campaign. Now who's the traitor in 2020? Who's the traitor? It's not Pence. It's not the rhinos. It's you. Because if people stood behind all the good that the president was doing all this time, if you had jumped behind him and said, I am going to be pushing forward. I am going to stand tall. I am not going to let them do anything. You are not a victim. You're the causer to the victimhood that you have, which is you're locked in your house. I told you in 2018, you lock yourself in your house, shoot your own foot and say thank you on top of it. This is exactly where we are. All of us did that. It includes me, all of us, all of us. We could have destroyed them here. We could have destroyed them there, but we didn't because we sat there passively distracted, distracted. But that's why I said, huh? 2021 is where the work begins. I said that months ago, a year ago. The work begins in 2021 to be ready for 2024. I told you he had four years. He's got six years. I told you about two presidents. We've had two presidents for the past four years. You were just not paying attention. Because if the media is funded by us, who are they serving? Definitely not us. If the consumer industry, the con you know, Walmart, Target, Starbucks, all of them are serving us, but they were working against us, who were they really serving? Who were they abiding to? If the FBI was to serve us, the DOJ serve us, the military serve us, uh, the Department of Treasury serve us, Congress serve us, Senate serve us, but they did everything against us, that means they were what? Exactly what you heard in those Zoom calls. He was never, President Trump was never their president. They abided to another president. I told you President Trump has six years in, six years in, six years. I told you that. I did. I said, he's got another six years. Another six years. And before he leaves... Every single one of those Supreme Court justices that were there when he entered office in January of 2017 will be replaced except for one. I told you that too. You'll see. I said he has another six years. He just had four. He has another six to go. Six, but they're in fours. Well, you know, that thing called life. But again, this is something that I would expect my president to say to himself and not want to say to the people because as a leader, you never, you know, share the blame. But I'm also to share on blame. I should have went harder a year ago. I could have. I didn't. Because life, distractions, you know, whatever. We're all doing.
we are all to blame. I should have destroyed him again at Waterloo if my rights had not failed me. Before the battle began, the Duke of Wellington went to work, fortifying the position where he would meet the French. Using the reverse slopes just outside the town of Waterloo, he was able to conceal many of his troops while fortifying three major defensible positions. These included the Chateau Hugamont to the west, and the Papillot farm to the east, which he intended to garrison as an anchor on either flank. In the center lay La Haye Saint farmhouse, and an adjacent sand pit. If all went as planned, Napoleon's flanks would be vulnerable no matter which position they attacked. Despite this geographic disadvantage, the Emperor of the French believed that victory was assured. However, the most dangerous threat to Napoleon was the proximity of the Prussian troops, who hoped to bolster Wellington's eastern flank. In order to delay their arrival, Napoleon dispatched Marshal Emmanuel Duchy with approximately 34,000 men, nearly a third of his total strength, to harass them, thereby buying himself enough time to face one enemy at a time. The decision was not a bad one, but a torrential rainstorm on the 17th delayed the French response. Napoleon consequently postponed the attack until midday on the 18th as to give the ground the time to dry perhaps miscalculating how long it would take the Prussians to arrive. When the battle properly began around noon, the French infantry began their faint attack on an important communications hub. What should have been merely the opening stroke before an assault on the enemy center became a brutal slugfest as Napoleon sent wave after wave of men against the chateau. The British garrison held fast without drawing a significant number of reinforcements from the center. Furthermore, hiding behind the reverse slopes made Wellington's troops all but invulnerable to artillery fire. Though he had more men, and perhaps could have overwhelmed the British eventually, time was not on Napoleon's side. So as you see, they went for the communication hubs, mainstream media, and those breaking down the door to get in are the independent media that were being smothered by the mainstream media, and then the people hiding in the hills are your social media platform and your internet corporations that are shutting people out. All you have to do is take history and apply it to today to see exactly where it's going. That's how it is. That's how it is. So in order for someone to win a war, you have to also get into battle. So until everything settles, how do you get to the point of the end of February being glorious? by action, not by sitting and waiting, but by action. So let me explain to you quite easy. I want you to sit back, stand on the moon with me and watch. All of America right now is on their knees and, and, and concerned. There's a portion of them that are waiting for the hallelujah. Others of them that know exactly what that hallelujah is, but aren't telling, uh, you know, we've got military that it's in huge numbers. And Christopher Miller actually said today, uh, there was an announcement where he said that while there's no intelligence to suggest that there's an insider threat, they're actually investigating and vetting the National Guardsmen that are coming to Washington, D.C. What does that tell you? And this vetting happens in any law enforcement, he says, or security of the Capitol. So now the Department of Defense is vetting the National Guardsmen that are coming from other states to supposedly be in D.C., which has over 25,000 Guardsmen there, which is 
unprecedented considering no one's there, right? Pay attention to what is happening. So you're standing on the moon. So you're watching all of Americans sitting in their houses thinking, shit, we're going to gulags. Oh my God, FEMA. Oh my God, this. Oh my gosh, that. What do I do? Oh, my head is spinning. Biden's coming out. He's going to reverse everything. We're all going to die. That's it. And, and true say, this is going to be like a zombie apocalypse. I'm going to tell you that. And it's going to look like it. And you're going to be. But what you're not paying attention to is the details. The many fronts in the battles that are being waged right now and won like no other. The only battle that many of you pessimists out there that are saying, well, what happened to that? And what happened to that? Stop. Don't pay attention to that. Because I guess you can't see the bigger picture. Let's focus on a smaller one, which is what avenue has not been examined. So we've got our political arm, our executive arm in place, our military arm, but the people is missing because you've got a lot of those people. Oh man, like I was listening to Q and I was listening to Juan and Simon and Tori and this and that and that. And it's just like not happening. And it's like, okay, aside from listening, right? Or, you know, oh, this person told me that all my money is going to happen like this. And I like, stop. What are you doing? Aside from listening, what are you doing? This is the doing part. You listened, you educated yourself. So now you've graduated. Now what do you do? You take the part of the people and you spark that fire. So we've already got the president taking care of all the sparks that we need where they need to be. But right now we need to spark our own fire. That's what we need to be doing. That's what you need to be doing. You need to be doing that. If, if, if you see anything in history, it's about taking control of your own narrative. If you see, if you're reading the Bible, you should see that you are the king of your own domain. Yet all of you are constantly forfeiting. So I'm telling you, the weakest state is here, and this is how we do it. And it's not just for you to feel empowered that you're doing something. It's to empower the rest of the nation. Because there's a lot of people out there. I like totally believe so-and-so when I was listening to him and I like sat there and he like pushed back the dates and then and then this and then and this prophet said that. And it's like, dude, miracles happen. <laughs> you don't see them most of the time. Many of you don't see what's happening. And that's okay because your eyes can't see it yet. But once you're in there and your and your sleeves are rolled up and things are getting going, whoa. That's where you start to be able to see. And I feel, I feel really bad saying this because I'm calling everybody out. But here's how we do it. You don't want to be like Napoleon. You don't want to be sitting there waiting for someone to save you, right? You understand that the Savior is you, right? You were always the plan. It was always the people that were the plan. The people are the plan. There's no army without people in it. What do you expect? SEAL Team 6, 12, 20, 14, 20, 31? What do you expect? Do you expect them to come in and clean up the mess? Do you want them, what, running into these politicians' houses in the middle of the night while they're sleeping and just take care of them? That's not how it happens. What we need to be is the people that take control. And this is our portion of the war, the people.
Military is taken care of. Everything is taken care of. The logistics are taken care of. So now we do our part. That's why I've been saying the hard work begins in 2021. And once things fall into place at the end of February, that's where you don't sit down and say, all right, whew, dodge a bullet with that one. Nope, you're not done yet. We've got 50 states to go. You're really not done yet. We got four years. We need to get this done. Because if you get comfortable, oh, this just totally happened. You know, oh, this, that, oh, I'm we're done. President Trump, oh my gosh, inauguration. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. And oh, this happened. Oh, I'm so happy. Let's relax now. Let me tell you something. Things aren't going to be the way they were. They're going to be better. Why? Because every single person will realize exactly how important they are. You are not the underdog. You are the most important person. And the one thing you don't want to do is say, whoop, I, it's like a starving man. He doesn't eat and then like, you know, not worry about going to hunt the next day. Or you don't eat everything in your fridge and not make sure you go to the supermarket the next day to fill it up because then you won't eat again. You always stay on top of it. Don't get lazy. We got lazy technology. You got lulled into a sleep by the technology, by the mainstream media, by the consumerism, by the ads, by Hollywood, which have been very quiet lately. I thought Gaga and uh, J-Lo, Jenny from the block, were going to be at the inaugural ball. I mean, they could have balls, but we can't see our dying loved ones at the hospital or have Christmas or Thanksgiving or open up our shops. But I digress. What you need to do is stop looking at what people are telling you to do and watch and listen and look at what they're not pointing at. Hollywood's quiet. When was the last blockbuster movie you've seen? Tell me. When was the last big hit on the radio that you've seen? Tell me. When was it that you saw excitement for the Democrat Party? Tell me. How do you see that Illinois and New York are now flipping? Oh, we must open up. I thought a week ago the report said that you got to stay shut down for like forever. There's going to be a 20, uh, a, a control of virus 22, 23, 24. And you're never getting out of it. I, you know, my daughter's school. This is why I'm, I'm freaking out. I have to actually go find another cheap place to rent um, and have two places to pay for so my kid can go to school that won't mandate vaccination. Yeah, they're doing that in inner city schools. Like until you can get vaccinated, I'm sorry, you're not coming back to school. That's a big deal. So think about it this way, you guys. This is where we take control. This is where we take the reins of the narrative as people. We let the people that are in power in places that President Trump ensured. This was a very well thought out operation. And while many of you are trying to flip and say, I don't like this guy or this gal or Q or A or B or C or psh, right? You're distracted with picking where you want to do rather than yourself. I've told you the only person you need to listen to is the president and those that are loyal to him only. And him meaning God. 
Because when someone changes their narrative and there's a red flag there, you take it and you run. You trust your gut, you know, because your brain is of earth. Your gut is divine. It is divine. That is where everything comes through. Everything is divine and it tells you everything you need to know. Now, I know a lot of you are telling me about the, the school thing that I should homeschool. It's not about the education part. It's about the social aspect. I mean, we moved here over a year ago and she has no friends. Um, that, that really hurts when kids can't have interaction with other kids. We have to understand that. So social interaction is key for the development of uh, your persona, your personality, and your um, want and drive. Remember that. So anyway, guys, this is going to be a massive week. On the Telegram channel, um, I will be updating with information in regards to Ohio and some other stuff. Telegram is where I'll drop the Hunter Biden laptop, DNC server, and Brennan's emails um, when it's ready. I'm trying to create the site to be easy, uh, navigated, um, and, uh, you know, we have everything we need. They're done. They're toast. So, um, keep your eyes out on that. And also if anyone decides from Ohio to create their own group, make sure you add me to it. Uh, I will be able to share the letters through telegram. Um, obviously we could do it through email too. Um, I'm going to be setting up another uh, uh, chat group on another platform that nobody knows of yet. Uh, so that way um, we can all converse on that because this is, this is war and we're bringing it to their doorstep. And we're going to be using pens and papers and laws and our clout. We're in charge. This is our, we're the shareholders of this nation. And if anyone tells you, oh, you can't do that. You just got to wait. The law doesn't. Yeah. All right. So we're changing the law. And you could change state law super quick. Because when you run someone, right, to replace the clown that doesn't want to do it, right, you tell them, if you don't do it, I'm removing you too. That's the way it is. We're going to have the swiftest replacement of state legislature the history of America has ever seen. It is going to be the easiest thing to do. The easiest thing to do. No problem whatsoever. You've not had a voice as a people since Project Reigns was put into effect from the year 2000. Every single election you've had has been fixed. There have been people throughout the past two decades testifying to that. We were lucky that one person took it upon themselves to risk getting caught committing a crime of destruction of government property to ensure that there was no deployment of scripts in the 2016 election because they had faith that the people would vote for President Trump. And in 2016, he broke that algorithm. And the scripts failed to deploy. So in essence, the closest thing that you've had to a fair and just election on this electronic type system was in 2016 and America spoke. America spoke so loud. And we're going to be heard from space. We're going to be heard from space. You're going to see people moving 
in other states to do exactly what the state of Ohio is doing. We're going to take a wrecking ball. We're going to set Ohio on fire, not physically, right? We're going to torch every single portion of the corrupt swamp. We've already started. We round up a lot of people in key positions throughout the state. And don't forget, we got right Air Force Patterson base here. It's all good people, right? All good people. So here's where we move forward and take control of our nation while the president deals with what he needs to deal with because he's on that. We need to be the support troops. We need to be his infantry. We need to be his intel. We need to be his little ground jarheads walking in to create the foundations to build upon. That's what we need to be doing. So I hope for what's coming, you know, that you're ready for it. I hope that these three years that I've been talking, you've realized that there is absolutely nothing they can do to stop what's coming. And that all relies on you. And always understand that in the end, God always wins. That's the end of the book. Always wins. Good, always wins. Don't let anyone tell you different. On that note, I'll see you guys tomorrow, hopefully on time this time. Same time, same place, 12 to 2. Can't wait to see you tomorrow. God bless. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start.